turn in your Bibles to Psalm 135. Let's go before Father once again. Lord, as we open your word, we believe that it is actually divine and written for correction, reproof, exhortation, encouragement. And we ask that you would teach us your ways, O Lord, that we might know the straight and narrow, that we might know the path that will give us life and that abundantly, that will set us free, that will help and bless all the days of our lives. Teach us your ways, O God. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Psalm 135, um, not much history here on this psalm. Really really not much uh, going. I don't really know when or who was writing this, but the psalmist is basically giving an exhortation to praise God. He's really commanding the people. He's really lighting them up. Um, An exhortation is what? It can be an encouragement or a rebuke. Encouragement or rebuke. What is an encouragement? Well, that's when you do just that. Encourage someone. You wrap your arm around them. Build them up. Bless them. And it's a good thing to do. It's one of the greatest things I think that we can do as a society, as a people, is what? Put our arm around one another. Be honest and open. And man, just encourage somebody. You know what I'm talking about? At work, it's a nice thing. To really, you know, it's just, no, we do just business. It's like, wait a minute, man. Everybody's got personal things going on and, and, and issues. It's okay to be honest with people. You know, it's okay to, you see somebody kind of bummed out, a little frustrated at work. You go buy them an apple. I don't know. You know, you go, you go buy them a smoothie or something. You go and, you know, bless them. Hey, uh, just... Just wanted to tell you, just you know, don't work too hard. You know, have a good day. All right, um, you know, just just really, it's okay to do that with your family. You know, when someone's getting frustrated, or you can pray for people, encourage, and rebuke is another way of exhorting. Yes, rebuke, rebuke is to what? Well, correct, uh, to really light somebody up, but in love, of course. Um, this is one of the most difficult things to do, I think, within Christianity and even within society. To rebuke someone. You're doing what? You're, you're calling them out. You're, you're coming in contact with them and trying to portray something that will actually help them. But they actually have a very hard time receiving it because you're bringing something negative into light. And it's very hard at sometimes to tell someone there's something wrong. Um... Let's just look at how hard it is to tell someone they have something in their teeth, um, something in their nose. That's me all the time. <sighs> Got to check right now. Okay, but it's very difficult. Look at how difficult it is just to tell someone the truth about that. You're not even. You're, you're actually trying to help them, aren't you? You're, you're like trying to set them free, but you're like embarrassed because you've been staring at it for like five minutes. <laughs> you know. But this is, I think, a very uh, a very small-scale rebuke. Um, there are obviously greater things that you need to call people out for. And many times, you've got to understand, it is very important to rebuke people because they cannot see what is going on. They can't see what's some, they, they got ketchup on their face. Okay, They can't see they have something in their teeth. They can't see they have something in their nose. They need someone to tell them. And isn't it classic when you can look into maybe a situation like maybe... I've seen this many times with a girl. She has this boyfriend who basically cheats on her all the time, and she keeps thinking that he loves her. And it's like, you're, yeah, yeah, Namin, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like you're looking at her like, um, he loves you? Like when the last time he cheated on you? Like, come on, when does he when does he love you? No, he loves me. You don't understand. He loves. Okay, you guys aren't. You're not even married, and you're staying with. I mean, hello. And sometimes they're so indulged in the relationship and so overtaken by it that they can't even see that there's something wrong going on. And so what do they need? They need someone to come point out that there's something in their teeth. There's something on their face. Everyone else sees it, but they don't. Now, when you rebuke someone, you need to be very careful. You do it in love, and you come in meekness and humble of heart. You've got to. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. Many people won't receive the things that you say. You're actually trying to help them. Um, I think the biggest illustration of this is in um, 
a a a relationship, a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. When the woman comes to the man and basically rebukes him because what? She cares about him. She loves him. And she's really trying to help him. But he doesn't receive it. He's ticked. Maybe because she doesn't say it in the most correcting manner, but she, he doesn't see that she is actually trying to help him. And I remembered um, the Jews told me when I was there in Israel, living with um, some, uh, with Don and Dahlia. Yes, they're in the Negev. They're in the southern part of Israel. Don and Dahlia, the sweetest couple, man, an older couple. They used to go and dance before the Lord out every single morning, out before, uh, out in the desert, like you... Their house is here, but just over this hill, it's like you go over that hill, and it's like you're in the middle of the desert. You can't see anything. You don't know where anything is at. You feel like you're out there. And they would go and dance and have communion before the Lord every day. Sweetest thing. And I got to go and stay in their house two nights. They were, yes, Jews that believed Jesus Christ was Messiah. And I remember um, we, we did worship in their house every single night, and, uh, and everyone played an instrument. Everyone in the house. Everyone has to. Uh, you have no option. Dahlia makes sure that you grab one, and so she's handing out tambourines and handing out little shakers, and and you get over there and just bang on that, you know, and like everyone's gonna worship together, and we're gonna just have a party in here, and it was great. We really did that, and she danced before the Lord, and and it was just a powerful time, powerful. One thing Don uh, Dahlia told me about uh, Don, Don and Dahlia, uh, Dahlia was just like, you know, Josh, there. Becoming one flesh, becoming one there, becoming married and becoming one. There is something that goes on there. Um, it's deeper in the Hebrew than you can see here on the surface of the English. And she starts to speak of this oneness that comes together. She was trying to explain it to me. It's almost like they come so close together that it's almost as if they are at odds with one another. Always at odds. Because what happens is, Neither person knows how to receive from the other. They constantly think there's a battle going on. That's why that's why parents argue. Because in actuality, they're thinking in their heart they're doing the best thing for their mate and trying to act this out. And, and, and what happens is they almost seem to be against one another. And once they come down to the bottom and the root of it and stop being selfish and thinking about themselves and see what their spouse is trying to say and recognize, they're like, wow, I see now. I see exactly what you're trying to do and how you're trying to work it out. But it's almost as if they're at odds with one another. Rebuking, encouraging, exhorting each other continually for the better. So you can have a better relationship. It's a good thing. But it's a difficult thing to swallow. And I would challenge you in this family. Look, we haven't even started the text and I'm just going off. The exhortation of praise, that's what it is. But if you were, if you were rebuked, listen. This is important. If you're rebuked, if someone calls you out, if someone ports, points out something in your teeth, listen. Don't get mad at them. What if they're wrong? Don't get mad. You receive every single drop of that. Want to know why? Because Proverbs says, Proverbs says, tells us this, a wise man loves rebuke. Loves rebuke. Wow. See, who, what professor is going to teach you that? None. A wise man loves rebuke. Now, how does that work practically? A wise man will love when he is rebuked. I should be loving every single time someone rebukes me. Why? Because they are looking out for me and trying to point out something that I don't see. What if they're wrong? Why can't you apply it to your life anyways and have a, have a better life and walk in a more straight and narrow line? Why not? You can always apply everything that they're saying. What if it's not true? Apply it anyways. And you only gain every single time. You become a better person over and over and over because you receive. This is something that I learned very quickly when I got into ministry because I get lit up all the time, believe it or not. All the time. I get called out constantly about the things that I do because, you know, I've always felt like a black sheep in the church. I really have. Like, no, not you, John. No, I'm, I'm serious. I just, I don't know why, but I'd, I've never felt exactly the most comfortable amongst the church. Like I'm hanging out with pastors and doing that kind of stuff. Like it just, I, I don't know. But um, I always get called out and rebuked. And I've learned very quickly just to receive everything that they're saying and say, I thank you so much for speaking truth into my life and I receive everything that you say. 
And instantly, if they feel guilty, they'll start backpedaling and say, Josh, you're not, you're, you're really not that bad of a guy. You know, I just, I, I just wanted to say this. Just a, no, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I really am. You know, it's just like, no, no, you, um, I didn't mean to come down on you that hard. You know, I was just more like trying to, and they just start backpedaling because they're, they know they're wrong on certain issues and they wanted to really just nail me to the ground. But other times when I am wrong and I receive it, you gain favor in the eyes of others very quickly. Because you know how to receive a rebuke, you gain favor and they see that you are not prideful and arrogant and that you receive from them and you gain favor in their eyes instantly. Learn to do that with your boss and you'll be promoted quickly. You receive everything that he says. You, you receive every, everything that they say as if they are king. And what happens? They see humility. Isn't it genius? It's a great idea. You think that they would be giving this in like successful success seminars or something? A wise man loves rebuke, but you're not going to find it there. You'll only find it in the Bible. And um, so I'd encourage you guys, as I exhort you, as I encourage you to praise the Lord and rebuke you for not, receive it and be blessed. Are you ready? 21 verses tonight. Psalm 135. Praise ye the Lord. Praise. Ye the name of the Lord. Praise Him. How many times did He say that? Three. <laughs> That's enough, psalmist. We don't need any more. No, He says you need it. O you servants of the Lord, praise the Lord. Verse 2. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of God, praise the Lord. Number 4. For the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name. 5. For it is pleasant. Did you hear that? Did you hear the command? Praise the Lord. Um, Josh, I'm not hearing it correctly. Okay, here we go. Praise the the Lord. Praise the Lord. Not praise the Lord. No, no, we're not saying it like that. He is commanding you to praise God. To lift up his name. And he gives two reasons why. Did you see? Did you see there? In verse 3, for the Lord is what? Good. And what else? For it is pleasant. Hmm, interesting. He commands you to praise God. Now, I really do want to um, first rebuke and then encourage. Um, yeah, it really bums me out when the church does not worship God. It's like, what is wrong with the people? Well, I don't feel like praising God. Okay. Well, God doesn't feel like blessing you, and so He's not going to anymore. No, it doesn't work that way. He keeps blessing even when you're not faithful, huh? He remains faithful when you are what? Faithless. When you don't have any faith, when you don't believe God, He is still faithful to you. He doesn't leave you nor forsake you. He continues to give promises and blessings in your life regardless of your faithfulness. Interesting. I have to challenge myself all the time in church. There are things that come to my attention when it's time to worship God. Let's let's just play it out. Are you ready? Going to church. Here I am. Got my little Bible. And, hey, everybody. I'm going to church. And I walk in there to the sanctuary and I sit down. And guess what? Um, that's a good song. I kind of like this song. But um, I just kind of want to think about in and out right now. You know, I kind of want to think about, um, i got a bill to pay and i got other things to think about. I just, no, absolutely not. You come into the house of the Lord to worship God, to lift up His name. You're not to come in to do anything other than that. We are to worship the living God. We're to sing praises. And so you know what I need to do before I walk into the church? Is I need to prepare myself. I've come to this place to sing praises unto God and Him alone. Not to myself. And I'm not coming here to sing to the band. It's It, it bums me out again when people sing for the band. You know when you're doing that? It's like you're singing a song on the radio. You know, and you're just like enjoying it. You're all into it. And it's like you're singing. And then as soon as the song's over, when you start clapping... It's like you're clapping because the girl hit the solo like really good or the band sounded really good. That was a great song. Everybody was really into it. And it was an exciting time. And eh, wrong. When you clap, I hope that your clapping is going towards Father every single time or you're clapping in vain. 
It should be unto Him and Him alone. And if you're clapping to some, to worship unto God, you're clapping for the band? Oh, Father. We can't be doing this. And it must stop. Either don't clap at all, don't ever clap again, unless you're clapping unto God. But honestly, when we're praising God, when we are giving adoration and exaltation unto Him, hey, we should be clapping unto Him. And that brings me to the next thing. Okay, when you've brought yourself to worship, like, okay, I really want to worship God right now, what's with we are scared to lift our hands unto Father and bow the knee in the pew and clap unto Him and sing unto Him? What's with that? Why is this happening? I, I feel like it's a great tact of the enemy to try to get in and rip off week after week. How many weeks do you go without praising God? And how many opportunities do you miss to, to sing unto the Lord and sing a great song unto the Lord? Well, I kind of don't like this song. Well, you better start liking it. It's not about you. This song wasn't written for you, my friend. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Praising Him and worshiping Him. As a worship leader, I get tired of songs. Yeah, believe it or not. And I get tired of singing them. Because they become like that song on the radio, man, that you just are bummed and tired of singing. Like, why do they keep playing this thing? It's old. But I have to correct myself time and time again and say, Josh, was that song written for you? No, no, actually it wasn't written for you at all, was it? It's for the Lord, our King, our God. And you know what? I'm going to sing it, and I'm going to sing it with all my heart. And believe it or not, I have rediscovered great songs like Open the Eyes of My Heart. Which I... I'm telling you, the words are so awesome. And to really mean it from your heart, and to even sometimes tact in ways that you can really get yourself, don't sing out anymore, just sing almost quiet enough just so you and, you and God can hear. And just be quiet before the Lord and just sing unto Him. And when you, when you figure out what it's saying and, and what you're saying to God, then start expressing yourself unto Him. But don't give vain worship unto the King. Don't you dare. And those of you, I mean, who are leaders in the church, I mean, shame on you if you do not raise your hand and bow the knee to the king. Come on. What do we, I mean, we're, are we Christians here? That's what we do. I have to challenge myself all the time over and over. And these are, these are reasons that come into my head why I don't bow the knee. Why I don't want to make the person next to me feel uncomfortable. I'm, it's honest. I don't want to raise my hands too high because I just don't want to make, you know, make people think that I'm like so holy and all this stuff. It's like, man, I'm fed up with that. And, or I don't want to do it because I'm embarrassed. It's like the Muslim is embarrassed. They went and had a demonstration out there in uh, New York City where they bowed on the street. They're in the middle of one of those streets, stopped traffic. They All of them, they got on their face and bowed to Allah, the moon god. It's sad. We have the, the, the one and only true king. And we do not bow the knee. We do not praise Him. We have got to be people that praise our hands, that clap, our, that sing to our God. That's not comfortable for me, Josh. Well, I'm telling you, bowing the knee is not comfortable. And that's what's so powerful about it. What if I told you to bow to this table right now? Come on, come on. Bow, bow to the table. It's like you're not going to bow to the table. What does the table I have to offer you? Nothing. It'll hold my coffee well. That's good. Are you going to worship it for holding your coffee? It's like... It's insane the things people worship these days. People bow to all kinds of things these days, believe it or not. It's insane how, yes, even a band can get a crowd to do crazy things. They will do whatever the lead singer... I mean, I, I think back to just... The, <sighs> but family, if we're Christians, and we serve the, the one and true living God, He deserves to be praised. Now, why does the psalmist say five times praise the lord i think because you don't do it that's why we've got to be taken back we've got to check ourselves can we analyze ourselves can we ask ourselves right now do i praise god we just had a worship session did you praise god just ask yourself did i praise god if you didn't then that's fine then do you need you need to change I'm not saying we have to be so outrageous and radical in our worship that we distract everyone around us and 
But I'm saying you need to worship from your heart in such a way that is pleasing unto Father. And if that is in that moment, not lifting your hands and not bowing the knee and you're, you're before God, praise God, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that you have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G in order to praise God correctly. You know what I'm saying. Make sure you're praising Him with your whole heart. And I instruct the brothers, the guys that are with me all the time, if I see them not praising God during a worship session, oh, I'm dropping the bomb. Because we are to be an example for all. I remember John Corson said, you want to find a worship leader? Find the person in your congregation who worships God more than anyone and teach them how to play guitar. Don't find the person that knows how to play and can put on a good show and put them up there. Do not do that. And it's the truth. That's what God is looking for. Now that the rebuke has come, the encouragement. Do you want to know why we should praise God? It says, because the Lord is good and it is pleasant. Let's talk about the Lord being good real quick. Huh? Is Father not good? Is He not the greatest king? Who Show me a better king. Show me. Show me. Why is He good? Because this is why. Man, I was just listening to a song in the car right before I came here. It's a rap song, believe it or not. But at the beginning of the rap song, John Piper comes on and says this. Before the beat even drops. No, it's serious. He says this. He says, look at what Jesus did on the cross. The wrath of God is what? The wrath of God for a man who rejects God will be eternity upon a person. Eternity. He will be separated from God for eternity. And guess what? In those short hours there on the cross, Jesus Christ endured all of the wrath of God in that short amount of time. All of eternity for you and all eternity for me. In that short period of time, how could one person bear that upon themselves? Think about how could one person bear separation from God for all of eternity? Anyone. The wrath of God. Who can endure it? But now to take that eternity of time and to smash it into a certain hour there where He dumps everything upon Him. All there. upon one, What one man can take such a wrath? And if you don't know what God did, well, let me tell you what He did. God became a man, came down to this earth and, 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 and the way that He came and you think if God came to this earth what He would do? He would come in with a big robe on and a fat crown and rolling on 20s and the richest person you've ever seen, the most glamorous. No, no, he rode in on a donkey and he was born in basically this pigsty. He was born in a, in a little uh, place where they keep animals. You think he would add at least a hospital? Like be born in the 21st century with a hospital, you know, with no, no, no. And then guess what? He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was the, one of the poorest men to ever walk the earth. Not even a home. He doesn't even have a house. Not only did he come to live a poor life, but he helped people all his days. He did more work and more ministry and more blessings in three and a half years and blew more people's minds in three and a half years of ministry then Plato, Socrates, Homer, you name them all. Every philosopher, every great man to ever walk the earth has come nowhere close to the three and a half years that this man just walked the earth. He split time in half. Who can do such a thing? He came to the earth and did nothing wrong. No one could find fault in him. And so what do they do? They crucify God incarnate. They nail him to a cross and mock him and spit at him and beat him. Which they, what they didn't know is that he was taking all of their wrath so that they could get to heaven for free. What they didn't know is they were beating the very one that would bring salvation to them. That would save them from the lame life that they're living and wants to give them life in that abundantly. Wants to give them a great life, a good life, the best life. And wants to give them heaven when they die for free. You don't have to do a single thing. And that is what he was doing, and that is how great and good God is. If God sent everyone to hell, he would be just. Did you know that? 
All of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I have too. And what does that mean? If you do something wrong, like if you murder someone, you should what? Go to prison, right? That's justice, right? You do something wrong, you pay the price for it. We do wrong. We have committed sin against God. The judgment is eternity. Well, I don't think that's fair. Well, number one, the looks of your life, you don't even know how to determine what is fair and what is not fair. You have a hard time teaching a child what is right to do, and you're going to tell me that you know what is right and what is wrong, and God is wrong in his decision. I think that our decision is wrong. He is the one who has created right and wrong and good. So if anyone knows what is good, he does. And so justice is what, family? You do something wrong, you get punishment for that, right? We've all done something wrong, and we deserve punishment. But guess what he did? He says, I'm going to give you mercy. Mercy means you've done something wrong, you've murdered somebody, but what? You don't have to go to prison. You get to go free. Wow, that's a good thing, huh? What if somebody let you go? What if you did something wrong to somebody and they said, forgiven? It's okay, no big deal. You're forgiven. Mercy. Don't worry about it. It's all right. He did that. But he did even more than that. He said, you're forgiven. I'm not going to hold it against you. I will give you salvation for free. I'm not going to hold it against you. You deserve hell, but I won't give it to you. I will give you heaven, and I will give you life in that abundantly. I will give you heaven in the next life, and I will give you heaven on earth. I will give you a blessed life. That means you murdered somebody. You should have gone to prison, but they said, no, you don't have to go to prison. And then they said, you get a mansion for free. Who does that? No one. God says, you deserved hell, justice, I've given you mercy, forgiven, I'm not going to worry about that, but I'm going to give you heaven, no man can buy it, and I will give it to you for free. Who can do that, and who would ever go that far, for anyone? If someone wronged you, would you forgive them? They slapped you, I'd forgive them. How about five times, would you forgive them? What if they cheated on you, would you forgive them? What if they burnt down your house, would you forgive them? What if they killed your family, would you forgive them? Maybe one of the most amazing people on the earth might possibly forgive a person for doing all of that. But would you then give them your house and give them all of your assets and give them a mansion to live in? No one would ever do that. And that is what God has done and that is why he is good. And there is no one good but him. And that is why you should praise him, family. I encourage you. Jeez. If you're going to sing a song, don't sing it to the radio. Gosh, sing a song unto God. Who gives a rip about these rappers and and, and pop stars? And I mean, if you're going to sing, sing to God. If there's anyone to sing to, it's Him, is it not? I mean, He's the one who deserves it. We must sing for the Lord is good, but not only that, is He good. Look at that last part there. It is pleasant. Did you know that praising God is a blessing to you too? When you praise God, God will what? Inhabit the praises of his people. Worship and praise is supposed to be for him and him alone, is it not? Think about it. When you praise somebody, it's supposed to be all for that person, right? You're praising them. You shouldn't be receiving really anything. It's all for that person. Praise, 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 praise. All praise, 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 or praise. You want to praise the table? Praise it, praise it, praise it. But what are you supposed to receive? I mean, why would you receive anything? When you praise God, you see God for who He is. You see that He's the provider. You see that He's the healer. You see that He's the God that pulls through. The more that you praise Him, the more that you see Him for who He is. He has given you the garment of what? Praise for the spirit of heaviness. A garment that you can put on. If your spirit is heavy, praise God and watch how the heaviness will leave you. It's not a magic trick. It's the spirit of God. He has given you the spirit of praise. So when you are down and bummed out in your day, I dare you to turn on a worship song or even sing one there to yourself there at work and watch how your countenance will change in a second. I do it all the time. If I'm bummed out, I just sing a little something like, His name is Jesus. Jesus, sad hearts weep no more. He has healed the broken heart. It opened wide the prison doors. He is able to deliver evermore. Josh, it sounds like a Disney song. Well, that's close. It's great lyrics. If you're bummed out, I dare you smile real big. 
You can't stay bummed out anymore, can you? You can't. The same thing with praising God. He's given you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Praise God. Praise the Lord, people. Praise the Lord, for it is pleasant. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 4. Dang. Verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his particular treasure. Interesting. Gosh, I could talk an hour about this, but I won't. Um, It's just interesting that he's chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel as his particular treasure. It's like if I had a particular treasure and I talked about it, it's like I have this particular treasure that I keep only unto myself. No one has ever seen it. It's mine. It's true. The same is true with Israel, is it not? A nation that rejects their God. I lived in Israel for three months. That nation rejects God. Like 90% don't give a rip about God. They're atheist or or agnostic. It's sad. And um, that's what's happening. And what does he still do? That little country the size of San Bernardino County, he protects and doesn't allow anyone to wipe them off the face of the earth. And no one will wipe them off the face of the earth. And I can say that with authority because the Bible says it. Why can't anybody kill those Jews? Because God has his hand on them. You're not going to wipe them out. That little, little, little country over there, the Muslim world desires to smash them off the face of the earth. No one can do it. I guarantee if, if all Israel had was rocks backed up against the Mediterranean Sea, they would destroy tanks because God's hand is upon them. Why can't this civilization be destroyed? Everyone, how many have tried to wipe them out? How many nations? The Assyrians, Babylon, geez. Hitler, hello. The Romans, come on. No one can kill these guys. But these civilizations fall at the word of the Lord. Israel is his particular treasure. I don't know why, and I don't know how. I think that God looked for the weakest nation on the face of the earth and said, that's my people. I'm going to take the weakest people that could never amount to anything, and I'm going to show my glory through them in a powerful way. And that's who I am. And that's who we are. God takes the weak people of the earth and basically makes the rest of the world look like a fool in the eyes of his people. He doesn't take the brilliant. He takes the meek and the humble and he turns them into brilliant. And he makes them wise. And he blows the minds of the people of this earth through these small people like Jacob and like Israel. Verse 5, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. And the Lord better be the Lord above all gods in your life. How do you know if you have a God? What do you spend your time doing? If you spend more time focusing on something than God, it's your God. That's what you spend your time worshiping. That's what you do. Recognize, understand. I know you have schoolwork. I know you have to work. But I'm talking about the time when you have free time. What do you spend your time doing? Um, I love to surf. Um, I get to do it like once a week, but just be careful about the things that you're so infatuated by. I know video games can become a god very quickly. Sad for many guys, I know. Um, a girl can become a god for many guys, I know. Um, a guy can become a, go- a god for many girls and vice versa. And um, a car can become a god. Money, success, what you strive after, what you pursue with all of your heart, that is your God. Uh, No, it's not, Josh. Okay. I mean, if you don't want to call it a God, that's cool. Just wherever you spend your time, that's where you spend it. And uh, But for a Christian, I know the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. And he should be that in your life. Verse 6, whosoever the Lord please, that did he in heaven and in earth and the seas and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightning for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. Hmm. I underlined that because I thought it was interesting. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Where is that? Where is the treasury? I want to know where it's at. And I want to see where he brings this wind from. Is it not true? Why does wind just go? Why? You know what causes the waves to move and great swells to come? When the winds come in, the wind is so much more powerful than the ocean. 
it pushes down. I mean, the moon has a lot to do with the waves, but the wind, when it comes down and push, I mean, it's, it's radical. It can create storms like no other. But who pushes the wind? Who pushed the wind the first time? What, I mean, how does it just start going? I mean, it's like it's, everything's still and all of a sudden here it comes. Is there just this wind just like running around the earth everywhere and it, they keep running into each other and like what? I mean, I'm sure scientists don't know the answer to that because they don't even know how a bee flies. Yeah, they don't. A bee's wings are not big enough for its body. It's not. And so they have no clue how the thing keeps afloat. And that's God laughing, laughing, saying, you will never figure it out because my ways are greater than your ways and my thoughts higher than yours. Verse 8, who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast? Who sent tokens of wonders into the midst of thee? O Egypt, upon Pharaoh, upon all of his servants, who smote great nations and slew mighty kings? Shion, king of Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan, and gave their land for heritage, and heritage unto Israel, his people. So God, the, the, the psalmist starts questioning and saying, hey, who's the one who did all the miracles in Egypt? God. Who's the one who can strike down a king at any time he wants? I mean, who, what great king can rise up against God? God created the king. And his all power, I mean, he, I mean, Hello. It's so funny. I mean, I even look at the uh, the prophecies there in the Old Testament in Daniel, where God, uh, where through Daniel, I mean, he basically pens everything that's going to happen in history. And those of you that know there through 9, 10, 11, 12, I can't remember the exact chapters there, but where there is a basically a, just a history lesson going on there, written hundreds of years before this thing even begins with Alexander the Great and all the above. It's just insane. I mean, God looks, you think God looks at all of time and all of creation. He raises up who he desires. He knocks down who he desires. I mean, it's like, who can rise up against the living God? And it is so funny to me when people think, well, when, I mean, agnostics, I guess. I mean, people who know that there is something out there just choose to completely neglect now, there are very few that call themselves atheists in this day. Even the world-leading atheist, Richard Dawkins, will not call himself an atheist. He'll call himself an agnostic, no, a 6.3 agnostic, whatever that means. Uh, that's what he calls himself because, I mean, mathematically, it's like, hello, um, there's got to be something. And people are starting to understand this more and more, and, and it's, it, it's seen. I mean, Romans 1 tells us, the attributes of God are seen. No, no man is without any excuse. It's obvious. And one of the most simple arguments that I use, and I use it on atheists all the time because, um, well, I mean, it's. I think it's so simple and so basic that once they can't answer the question, I just say, hello. I mean, this is. I, it's not even a hard argument. It's like the most simple thing. Um, science is what? It's really testing and... Um, coming to a conclusion on the things that you do test. And so um, let's look at everything that we've ever seen, ever, everything that we we could ever test and look at. Have you ever seen anything come out of nothing, ever, ever seen anything come together out of nothing? Um, have you ever seen anything create itself? Or um, how bizarre would it say, would it, would it say if, if I was to say, um, you see this bag right here with the item inside? I don't know what it is, Monique. But this bag, if I just set it here, family, listen, if I just, just just think logically with me. Come on, just be logically consistent here. Okay, let's just, this bag here with all the colors and everything, um, Do you th how many years do you think it would take for the wind to blow a certain way and ink to come from somewhere and rain to rain down on it and all of this to even explode or just come together? How many years would it take to form this bag as accurate and as perfect as it is right now and then to create the thing inside and put it in a package as it is now, and just to set it here on this table. How many years? A billion? Do you think that there's a chance that over a billion years that the winds could come in a certain way and manner? And all the design, I mean, look at, look at the design on this thing. 
You got Disneyland. It spells Disneyland Resort. It has a firework with a little a little castle there on there. It's blue here and it's green here and it says California Disney Adventure. All of these things come together and this way it just comes together perfectly just in the way it is. How many years? What are the chances? Mathematically impossible. Impossible. It could never happen. You want to know what's more complicated than that bag? A single cell in my body. Just think with me. Have you ever seen anything just come together? No, somebody put this together, okay? Somebody from Disney made this bag and, did, and put the, the gift in there and all the above, okay? It's always, so everything that I've ever analyzed in life, everything that I've ever seen, it's always come together. Somebody's always put it together. So, so if I'm using science and I'm coming to conclusion on the things that I've observed and tested, then everything that I've ever observed and tested comes to the conclusion that something must have brought all this together. There is no way that it could just come out of nothing. Nothing. Could this bag just appear of nothing? Could this world and all of these humans show up out of nowhere? It's an impossibility. And I just bring that simple argument and then I just ask the guy, just explain that for me. I'm like, that's not a difficult argument. It really isn't. And they try to change the subject. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait. I've been talking to people like for eight years. I'm just simple things like this on the streets. I was just talking with two guys last week, two atheists at RCC. Just, just explain this. There is no explanation. Because it is not answerable. I'll challenge a professor. It's simple. Professor, PhD, it doesn't matter who. Let's just talk about it. We don't need to get scientific. Let's just talk about that. Well, it's more complicated than that. No. Really simple. How can you come to that conclusion? God who raises up the king and sits him down and who has done great miracles in Egypt and pulled through for Israel and the one who has created you and me, that is the one who should be praised. That's what the psalmist is saying. The one who has created this, us, all of this, he is the one who should be praised and no one else. Verse 13, Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever. Thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. I love that. And it's true, the word of the Lord will endure forever. Isn't it amazing? You think if, if the people wanted to destroy Christianity, you just, just erase the Bible, man. Just burn them all. Just wipe it out. Um, they thought that killing Jesus Christ would destroy everything, but it just blew everything up. It's the greatest movement ever. He only walked, he only did, he only spoke for three and a half years. That's what created all this. Isn't that amazing? God says, I will endure forever thy memorial and throughout all generations. Verse 14, for the Lord will judge his people and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the, oh, let's just move into this and we'll close it down. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like them. So is everyone that trusts in them. Okay, real quick. The psalmist says, the idols of the non-believer, the idols of the world are silver and gold. And it's true. Money really motivates many people out here in this world. There are very few that you can find that would say, I don't need money, um, or I'm okay with living a poor life the rest of my life. Very few. Um, but if we break it down, even in that time, in that culture, the heathens, the, heathens, the pagans, the, uh, the people who did not seek God, were taking these uh, this silver and gold and making idols. We know the children of, uh, of Israel made an idol, huh? Uh, a calf there, a golden calf before the Lord. Well, isn't it interesting that someone would make something and worship it? How does that work logically? I'm going to form this God and I'm going to worship the God. It's like that Buddha that you just made that you're giving money to and putting food at its feet. I mean, is it going to eat it? Well, spiritually, it's going to eat it. Really? When does Buddha come into this thing? Like, at what point when you're forming it and shaping it does it come to life? Josh, don't make fun of their idol. It's just, just leave it alone. Okay, okay, all right. 
But it, it honestly just makes... no. I mean, God even calls it out. He says, look, they have eyes, but they can't even see. They have ears, but they can't even hear. They have mouths, but they have no breath in their mouth. They don't even breathe. You think that you would at least worship like a cow or something that's alive. Because it can make sounds, it can hear, it can see you. It can respond. It would eat your food. And the Bible says they're clear. Those who make these or those who worship these idols become like them. And it's true. Those who worship things other than God become blind, cannot hear, and do not breathe. They basically become dead. And it's the saddest thing. You watch person after person. Look at, just show me one, just show me a couple atheists that enjoyed their lives at the end of their lives. Why are the most famous of all atheists who? Um, Nietzsche wrote a book called God is Dead. And he is the atheist that many look to for their philosophies. And that man died a miserable death. Crazy. In the loony bin. Um, if all this God stuff is fake, and I end up like that old woman bringing cookies across the street for the people, happy is all get out, then I'm going to follow that crazy religion till the day that I die. Because I don't want to end up like those. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen. And those who seek anything other than God and worship anything other, there's a skin God around here that many worship. You've seen it. A little skin image on the back of the, the naked woman there, silhouette. It's sad. And many men worship that. And many women even. And if you worship that, you will die worshiping that and you will die a miserable death. Hugh Hefner, is he a happy man? Oh, he's got it all, man. He is the skin God. No, he's not happy. It's sad, huh? You know, his one quote that he's heard for is, I just wish someone would love me. That's all he wants. He knows that none of these girls will ever love him. And it's sad. And that's the same thing we hear over and over and over when you choose to forsake the living God. That's why he says they become just like their own gods. They can't hear, they can't see, and they stop breathing. It's true. And that's why the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Arion. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And that is where it ends. Um, I tell atheists all the time, 50-50 chance between me and you. You're right and I'm right. If you're right, um, I guess I just kind of chase after this woo-woo guy, spaghetti monster in the sky. And uh, and I probably don't end up in prison. Probably have a good, pretty good family because I follow the principles and the rules of the Bible. Maybe I'm a little strict on my kids. But my kids are probably going to end up pretty good kids because they're raised. Um, uh, we, well, I, I show compassion and love and teach them what is right and wrong, what I perceive is right and wrong. And you know, I'll probably live a pretty good little Flanders life on The Simpsons. Okay, it'll be all right. And I surf and I have a blast doing it. And I just miss out on a couple parties and a couple times getting drunk and sleeping with that girl and doing these things that I shouldn't. Um, or I'm sorry, that I should do because it's okay to do. Um, I, I miss chasing out on some of the desires within that I wish I could have. Um, okay, you know, that's okay. It's not that big of a deal if I don't follow that way. But my friend, if I am right and you are wrong, I told these two guys specifically because I care about them. I said, the repercussions is hell. How can I get more honest and more upfront? It's the truth. You can't mess this one up, man. You've got to be right about this. This is a big deal. This is life and death. This is no messing around. You better be right that this Christianity thing is wrong. Because if it's right, it's a sad day for many people. They missed out on life in that abundantly. They missed out on a God reaching his hand out who had died for them, reaching and begging and pleading as much as possible. Come. 
I have made a way for you to have salvation and to have life in that abundantly. You say, here's the birdie, God. Get out of my face. I don't want anything to do with you. I got my own things. What can God say to the man? I laid down my life for you. And you spit on it. And so I told those brothers, it's life and death, man. Don't be wrong about this one. Be right. And family, those of you that have made the decision to follow Christ, I praise God. And those of you who are on the fence and need to make a decision, I urge you. And those of you who have no clue, have never even heard the gospel, don't even know God if you're in Him. God loves you. He just wants to give life in that abundantly. And um, as much as I said that I'm a slave to God, I have the greatest master out of any one of these masters. If your master is money or anything else in this world, you got a lame master. That thing won't do nothing for you. My master takes care of me. He saves the day, Superman. And um, I'm so grateful to have him, and I'm so grateful that he's even accepted me into his kingdom. And um, so we're going to pray, family. Those are the reasons why we need to bless God. Amen? We've got to praise him. I exhort you in the name of Jesus Christ to praise your God and to bless him and to live for him, to walk close to him. Father, you are the greatest king ever. There is none even close to you. None. You have gone far and beyond. You have moved in my life in ways which these people have never seen. And I am forever grateful to you and forever indebted to you, Father. And I will lay down my life all the days of my life for you. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for giving me peace and rest and taking the burdens from my life. Giving me purpose and meaning and goals and visions in life. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to help people and to bless them. Thank you for showing me this love that I can show it to others. Lord, people are blown away by your love when you show it, when we show it. And I get to share in that, and I'm so thankful. And I pray for this group here tonight that, Lord, they would make decisions to follow after you and to chase you with all of their hearts and to praise you as Lord and God and to submit to your authority completely because they understand that it is the only way It is the only right way. There is none greater. I lift these people into your hands, Father, and ask that you would bless them and that your hand would be upon them this week, that they would walk according to you, that you would be glorified. Bless your people. Bless your people. We love you, King. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen, family. Uh, Love you guys. I truly do. And I want the best for you. Not lying. Uh, This is the best life I've ever seen. And if I find a better one, I'll let you know. Um, I have not found anything better. And so I will seek it all my days and walk close to it. Um, Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.